Welcome back everyone to Teacher Tales. And I have a guest today who is going to give you a very big picture, interesting perspective on teaching. Um, she started out as a, a speech therapist uh, and now she's doing something different. So I want her to tell you a little bit about herself and what her journey has been in the field of education. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. And uh, I have had a very interesting journey, not at all what I intended when I went to college to be a speech therapist. And my entrance really into special education, working with people with disabilities was when I was 12. You know, I started babysitting for um, a young girl at the time who was five, who was uh, deaf, was deaf. And um, she was an amazing even as a five-year-old, you know, has really shaped and changed my life. And so I continued to babysit for her for seven years. And uh, it was interesting because trying to think of how old I was. So I guess that was 77 and didn't really know much about special education or special ed law. And I didn't know sign language. And her mom would leave me with, you know, assignments. Okay. She's having trouble saying napkin. I remember, can you teach her to say napkin? And I was like, okay, as a 12 year old. And so um, I just fell in love. I started taking sign language classes at the local library. And, you know, I just loved it. And my mother said to me, do you know that that's a profession? You can actually become someone who teaches people how to talk. And I was like, I didn't know that. So um, I just then started, you know, once it was time to be in college, I started looking for colleges that uh, had programs and there weren't that many back then. And I wound up at SUNY Geneseo um, here in New York, and they had a, you know, a really fabulous program. But I just remember with her just the learning of what inclusion was really all about and her struggles as I got older and she got older about being excluded. She started out at a school for uh, children who all had hearing impairment and her parents really wanted her included. And of course, as a 12, 13, 14 year old, I had no idea what that was. But I remember they were always going to lawyers and they were asked, I was asked to babysit. And I thought they were getting divorced. That's all I knew is that I had friends whose parents were seeing lawyers because they were getting divorced. But it turned out that they were going through due process to get her included. And they brought a lawsuit against the district and they eventually wound up winning when she was trying to think, I think she was maybe um, 10 or so um, to get back into her public school. And all she required at that time, all she needed was a sign language interpreter. And, you know, I think about today and how things have changed that children who, you know, would just need something so minimal like that would be a non-issue. And it was such a huge issue that they actually had to go through process, but they won. And she wound up going through the public school system. And then just, again, my experience uh, growing up with her because we kind of grew up together, you know, as a 12 year old, you're not all that grown up. And um, she's just a beautiful person and is thriving and actually lives in Florida. And we still stay in touch. And she came to my wedding and, you know, just an amazing human being. But, you know, that really shaped who I was and really led me down the path of becoming a speech therapist. And uh, I just knew that that was definitely a great fit for me. Mm -hmm. There's a, a video out there, and I should probably give it due credit, but there's a, a teacher who talks about um, every child needs a champion. And it mm -hmm. sounds like you became a champion for that child. And then in your career, went on to be a champion for other 
children. And I think every, every teacher is tasked with that. Whatever the, the child's needs are, however unique or special they may be, or even just, um, just a common need that all human beings have. I think we take some of those for granted, like the anxiety that's going on in schools right now with a lot of kids uh, that it tends to be overlooked. I was talking to a teacher recently and she was a little bit complaining about all of the mental health courses or you know training she had to go through right now. Uh, and she's like, it's just mental health. Like, you know, I don't need to have training on that. And I thought, mm, yeah, you do. I think everybody does, especially right now. Uh, so, so you kind of went into professional development. How did your being a champion for this, you know, child grow into becoming a speech therapist? And then how did you uh, take the next steps and kind of transition into uh, your company that you have now, which is a consulting firm for, uh, for professional development and support for teachers. So, yeah, so that was an interesting path. Again, I loved being a speech therapist. You know, I landed a job right after college. Um, you know, then back then it was really not hard to get jobs. So, um, as a speech therapist. And so I was just like, wh what age group, what do I want to do? And I got my first job, which was, a, you know, um, both a day school and a residential placement here on Long Island um, for students with significant disabilities, but um, it was, you know, totally segregated. So they were just in their own school and I was a speech therapist there. And I just, the sadness that I felt every Friday when I was leaving to go home to my family and they were literally walking upstairs to go upstairs to the residential part. Um, and some of them, those that were verbal, you know, begging me to take them, take them home. Um, and it just made me really sad. And I realized, you know, that this was not really the job for me. That really was not the placement. I didn't really feel like I could have the impact that I really wanted to have. And so, um, I just interviewed and landed a job at a preschool, which was a, you know, back then called, you know, like an integrated preschool. So for the most part, um, I spent the next nine and a half years, um, working there at the preschool and I worked in what was called the integrated program. And so that was classrooms that had students that were just there for, you know, childcare purposes and then students who were on the autism spectrum and then some students in there who just had mild speech and language difficulties. So that was the program and it was amazing. You know, I learned very quickly that, you know, although my training was to have a little office. I was all excited to decorate my first little office, but I really didn't spend a lot of time there. You know, I realized that I could bring the most value to the students, to the people that I worked with um, and develop that whole team approach by spending my time in the classroom. So I did that and I was there for, you know, nine and a half years, as well as working in group homes with adults with significant disabilities. And I was really hired um, as an inclusion sort of facilitator, you know, looking at places back then where they could be, you know, again, integrated into the community and realize that these adults through all of their schooling, through of all their training, really didn't have the skills as 40, 50 year old people and just started to question, you know, what is lacking and what happened before. I didn't really know I wasn't there when they were going through school, but after reading sort of history, realizing that they all came from very segregated places 
And here I am working with these adorable little babies who we're integrating and thinking like, what would these adults be like had they had this experience? And so I did that and I loved it. And then I became a mom. And um, when I had my second son, so I had a two-year-old and an infant, I really wanted to work part-time. And at that moment, um, the place where I was working decided that it was full-time or nothing. And I knew that my passion and love was really inclusive education. And so I chose nothing and took a leap of faith and decided I'll just do a little consulting for a couple of years till my kids are in school. And then I'll go back to being a speech therapist. And so I put myself out there on Long Island um, as an inclusion consultant. Wasn't sure what that was, um, but that's what it was. And so I put out the feelers to every district on the island and I had two that contacted me back and said, sure. And that was even before I was a company. And um, then I was panicked thinking, okay, now I have to figure out what that is. <laughs> I don't know what an inclusion consultant is, but at the time was exactly what I was passionate about. They had some, both districts had some students with, you know, uh, mostly on the autism spectrum who they were looking to include in more gen ed um, settings. And so I would go in, I would visit the classroom, I would see what was going on, then I would meet with the teachers um, and the administrators to debrief with them and offer them strategies and support. And I, I loved it. And so that was in 96. And then I said, you know what, maybe I'll just start a company. So I did. So in 1999, which is, you know, a really long time ago now, uh, I decided I'd start my company, which is called Consulting That Makes a Difference. And I uh, started then and it was just me and I subcontracted with other companies for a while doing similar work, but under, under companies till I started getting um, into what this is all about and really developing who I was as a consultant. And then, you know, when I started my company, it was me and then I would add one person and two people. And now my company has, I have nine people who do the work that I do. And I continue to be out in the field. You know, I'm not sitting just in my office. I love it. You know, I didn't go into this to be a businesswoman. I went into this because I, you know, adore teachers and I am so passionate about, you know, inclusive education. Something that you said that's really powerful. And I think is a really, I think at the heart of all teachers is that they see a need, they see something that they, they're passionate about again, like being a champion for a child um, or uh, lifelong learning, you know, and helping kids to learn things that's going to help them through their whole life and, you know, feel like they belong in this world and are a part of this world in a, in a very, you know, positive way. But you said, I didn't know what it was, but I was going to figure it out. And that's what teachers do. And that's, we were talking before we, we started recording about the, the whole pandemic and how teachers have had to figure things out and they've had to figure out how do how do I now reach these kids? How do I how do I adjust my expectations or adjust my approaches and stuff like that? What I'm finding though is that a lot of districts and a lot of higher ups or admin, and especially I do a lot of advocacy, um, the legislators are totally out of touch with the educational policy and what it's really like to be in a classroom, which is part of the reason for the podcast too. I wish more legislators would listen to it and hear the true stories of teachers. But anyways, how what you're doing now is providing professional development for 
teachers, but also for districts. So can you just like tell us a little bit about how, like what are districts asking you for? And is it like you didn't have a prescription, you didn't have a formula to follow a lesson plan that, and this is what I think a lot of teachers are resenting now as professional development is this package that's handed to them and they're expected kind of like that mental health thing with the teacher that I was talking about. Um, how, do, how has that changed over time and how, how are you meeting the teacher's needs now? What are they asking for? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that it has definitely changed over the years. You know, being new as a professional developer, I kind of started by going in with my agenda of what I thought, you know, would be a great place to start or setting up goals. And it's really been quite a journey about realizing how important the relationships are and really listening to teachers and real, you know, even when administrators, you know, I have I think great relationships with administrators, you know, within the districts that we're in. I think this year we're in about 42 school districts as a company. And so just realizing that every person you meet, just like students, is unique and your approach with them has to be different. And I have to be a great listener, you know, and really listen to what people want and not go in there with this is the direction we're going in. And so even if it's we're hired um, a big topic that we're asked for is to support co-teaching. And I you know I'm a huge fan of co-teaching, but I realize that, you know, we might go into a district or be asked to go into district under, you know, one particular topic that they're looking for, but then being part of then that school community, you really get to know all of the players, whether that's related service people or, you know, mental health professionals and certainly educators and administrators. And it's like a family. You know, I look at it as a family, just like any family where, you know, you have some that they all have their own little unique, you know, needs and personality and strengths. And personally, that's I love that part. And so I think what teachers really are looking for is, first of all, to be recognized and honored for the incredible job they do. And that I've always been, you know, a, a huge fan of educators. And I think with the pandemic, even more so. So what they're looking for, and we say this quite often as consultants, is that our job is to make your job easier, not harder. Teachers are already working so incredibly hard. If, you know, we are teaching them strategies and teaching them things, we need to make it so that it's doable and that they can see results rather quickly. You know, they, most teachers that I work with are so, you know, incredibly uh, committed to their students that the thought of leaving their classroom to have to go meet with when it starts out some stranger, you know, it has to be for a good reason. So I think, you know, doing a needs assessment, you know, that's where we always start. Um, as a district, and then with each individual teacher, just talking to them, um, kind of like we're talking now, but really getting to know them. You know, what do you consider your strengths? What are areas that you're interested in? So we have a little um, interest inventory that we either talk them through or we send to them and just ask them, what are they looking for? What do they want to do? What do they want to learn? And that's always a great place to start. I find that that's a great springboard to really be able to individualize and cater to the unique needs of, you know, any teacher. And when I went in prior to that with my own agenda, you know, I felt like, you know, I really didn't see the growth that we see now, you know, now it's just, you know, while I used to 
just really um, spend my career excited over the growth of my students. The teachers are my students now. And so just the pride I feel, the excitement I feel when I know that something was a struggle for them and then to see them just flourish, you know, and be able to turn key to other professionals is just so exciting to me. And so, yeah. So important what you just said in the learning journey, whether it's with teachers or with students, what do you need? Ask, what do you need? I had a, a podcast guest early, earlier, I don't remember again, the episode number, but Jennifer, and she uh, was interviewed by Reuters because she was doing a lot of mental health support for students. And it started out as a parent who needed, who's had her, her daughter was struggling with anxiety within the virtual, you know, world of teaching and learning. And she just would say, what do you need? How can I support you? Those were the questions she asked every single day to the kids. And I think that we need to ask the teachers that for their own well-being to validate them that they're, they can be seen and heard just because they're teachers, just because they're adults don't mean that they don't have, you know, human needs that need to be met. And I know forever, and I was at the district <laughs> for a while, and they always saw me as for professional development, like, like you said, my own agenda, and I was coming in and I was, you know, I had to hand them all this stuff and give them all the rules and what was the flavor of the week. And, and they, they didn't care. They were trying to survive. I won't say they didn't care, but they just were trying to survive. And they were like, I don't need that. You have no idea what my world is like in the classroom right now. Uh, you, you know, I need a bathroom break. I need, <laughs> I need to um, take a few things off my plate. I need a few a fewer meetings every week. And so asking the teachers, what do you need? And asking them, well, how can you go about getting that? What can I do to support you? You know, it, that's any learning journey um, in, in life. So it sounds like you really figured that out. And that's what your company is doing, even though a district, like you said, might ask for a certain thing. Like we always have these labels, especially acronyms in education. <laughs> it's like, we want this new thing and everybody's going to be trained in it. And you're like, okay, but what does that really look like? Like you said, it's, this is just so perfect um, what you're talking about. So yeah, so and that, yeah, that's exactly what happens is like, you know, I'll, I'll do a little needs assessment with administrators, you know, and see what they, you know, what is their vision? What does it look like? And sometimes with all of the, you know, administrators from a district and we do visioning and, you know, really getting them to think about at a very deep level, you know, let's do a little projection of, you know, five years from now, you know, based on the topics you gave me, what are you seeing now? And what would you love to see in five years that you're not seeing now? And a lot of times when we start having that conversation, you know, I realize that either the administrators don't even know that, but they're not on the same page. You know, one person's vision is completely different than another. So, you know, then I've had an administrator recently say to me, like, now I get why we're just not moving forward because we never really thought about it, but I had no idea that my colleagues were feeling this way, you know, when I was feeling something different. So here I am, you know, really pushing this initiative and I don't have their support because it's just not their priority. Mm -hmm. And so just opening the doors to conversations and just talking about that. And so, and then when I meet with the teachers, then 
I understand why they feel so conflicted. They say, you know, I have one administrator pop in and they give me this information or they tell me to go in this direction. And then, you know, a month later, someone else comes in and says, no, 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 need to go in this direction. And they don't know what they should be doing. And, you know, so I think it used to be as a company, we would sometimes go in, not spend a lot of time with administrators. I mean, I remember times when I was in a building, you know, they're consulting going from classroom to classroom and I would run into an administrator and they said, oh, you know, are you subbing today? Like they didn't even know who I was as the professional developer. So now, you know, that hasn't happened in a long time because I make sure that myself and all of my consultants, you know, we have a connection to, you know, the building level administrators and then even, you know, wider than that so that they know what we're doing so that they can reach out to us and, you know, that has helped the teachers that we work with tremendously, because we can be like you said, I love that, that we're really a liaison between, you know, the educators and the teachers, the teachers don't, you know, they might have things that they haven't even thought of, that they would love the administrators to know, or they don't always feel comfortable, necessarily being the spokesperson for that, or they're just spend all their energy, understandably with their kids. And so, we can be the people that can look big picture, can, can take the information without giving names, but say like, these are some things that have come up in numerous conversations I've had with teachers. These are some big picture changes that can make a huge difference in the lives, you know, and the well-being of the teachers that are actually, you know, doing the work. And uh, I have found that to be really helpful. And again, just get excited about when we when I see those changes, when I see, you know, if we look at, you know, just the uh, point of inclusion, you know, starting in districts that have, you know, tons of self-contained classrooms and not that there's anything wrong with that. We have many self-contained classes that we support, but that I mean, people that are really not moving forward, looking at best practices and inclusion. And then, you know, fast forward three years that we're in there and we see like slowly, you know, there's fewer self-contained classes and more students are being, you know, in more inclusive or, you know, the least restrictive environment has become, you know, a conversation that everyone is talking about when we're sitting at a table talking about a student and you see that movement. It's just so exciting to me. Mm -hmm. What a fabulous point too, about um, what does that look like? Because, um, you know, I hear this from teachers a lot where, Again, they're being given a, a mandate or a directive of we need to raise the test scores of our students, you know, data, data, data. And um, the teachers are like, I don't know what that looks like. What do you mean? And, um, and then they try to say, oh, here's a scripted lesson plan. If you follow this lesson plan and if you read the script, the kids are going to magically get it. And that doesn't happen. And then teachers are disillusioned and everything. So the whole thing about, again, asking, and then having conversations and building relationships where, what does that look like? You know, what role are you playing in this? And what role are the other people that are influencers or stakeholders? What, are, what roles are they playing? And so co-teaching, what have you found about co-teaching? What has been, the, what are the successes and what are some of the challenges with co-teaching? Because most teachers are like, no. I have my classroom and it's my sanctuary and I don't want anybody else in here. Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to the relationship. You know, I always say, you know, in the when you look at a co-teaching relationship, you know, and looking at it as a professional marriage. So I tell people that I'm a marriage counselor because I spend a lot of time doing that. And it's actually one of my favorite parts. Um, 
about those relationships, but I, you know, I know, you know, I have seen it over and over again over the last 22 years that the success of a co-teaching um, couple is really so much more about the relationship than even the students or any other piece. So the pandemic, I think, has really highlighted that. So once uh, we went full remote, you know, it really brought to everyone's attention the teams that were really struggling struggled even more, which wasn't all that different than the research and the statistics we see now about marriages outside, you know, just that relationships, once some really hard times fall, if your relationship is super strong and really solid, you might struggle, but you'll figure it out. When I had co-teaching relationships that were either brand new, so they were, you know, newlyweds and they really didn't know each other well, or they might have been, you know, a team that has been together but have really struggled with the relationship. Having something like the pandemic hit where they had to figure out all of these new things just made it really glaring that their relationship needed a lot of work. And that communication, because you're right, teachers go into this profession usually is like, okay, I go in my classroom, I close my door, it's me and my 25 students, and that's it. Now you're talking about you have another person there who's going to see you through your, you know, the good, the bad, you know, when you come in and you might have had a rough night or you're not in the greatest mood or it wasn't your greatest teaching moment and being vulnerable, you know, is hard for people, you know, and so I think vulnerable with each other. And then it comes to the professional development, being able to be vulnerable, you know, with us as consultants coming into classrooms. You know, I always say to whoever it is, you know, we're not there as administrators. So, you know, you, I want to see your worst lesson, not your best lesson, you know, save that for when your administrators come. Like, you know, I want to see what the struggles are. Same thing with the relationship. If you're struggling with something, if people sit in front of me and say, everything's great, we're fine. We don't need any support you don't really get very far. So I think the most important part, and you know, we have lots of tools that we've developed or lots of things that we use to sort of get at what's going on. You know, Because a lot of times when co-teaching relationships aren't working well, I'll have one person you know, kind of grab me when I'm in the building and say, this is what's going on. And then the, next per- the other person will grab me, but they're not talking together. And I always say, I can't do much about that. You know, unless you're, I can facilitate the conversation, but I can't, force you to be honest. But if you're not going to share that with your partner, it's never going to work. So I think, you know, we go through, again, a whole inventory of what really goes into a co-teaching relationship. And, you know, like any other relationship, it's, you know, that give and take, being a great listener, you know, being understanding that there's going to be rough patches and not bailing, you know, and I don't mean, of course, if you're in there for the year, you're there for the year, but I mean more um, emotionally, people just mm-hmm. bailing, just saying like, this is too hard. So I'll show up every day because I have to, and I'll do my job, but you're not really going to, you know, form that relationship. And the kids always know, you know, when I'm co-teaching, you know, it's supporting co-teaching and the relationship's not going well, they'll say to us, you know, any of our consultants that, you know, but the kids are doing great. The kids don't know. And I say, it's just like when you're in a marriage and people think it's not impacting the kids. Of course, the kids know, you know, I've been in situations where I can't even get them to acknowledge each other's presence in the room. They're like two ships that are walking through the motions of what they have to get through. So I think the biggest place to start is really looking at that relationship. And a lot of it requires some deep self-reflection, 
you know, people usually bring to the co-teaching relationship who they are. So if you're someone that avoids conflict at all costs in other parts of your life, chances are pretty good. You're not going to be the first person that's to say to your partner, the way that you handled that child's behavior yesterday really didn't work for me. Or, you know, it's really hard for me because I leave every Friday with bags of stuff to co-plan and you leave every Friday with nothing. And I feel like I'm pulling the weight. Those are hard things to say. And so really talking to people about who they are, what they need from a relationship. You know, I like to plan, you know, I fly by the seat of my pants. I love to have the whole year planned. We run into that quite often. So those are things we really have to work out because just left, you know, those two polar opposites, you know, we don't get very far. So it's really about the relationship. Those are such great examples. And I mean, it is that I love that it's like a marriage and that communication. And I see that a lot. And I've experienced it. And my daughter, who's a teacher, experiences it where we may not be in a co-teaching situation where we are, you know, actually co-teaching the same students, but where there becomes a rivalry, there becomes jealousy, there becomes more isolation um, and competition. I think a lot of the data stuff and and, uh, putting that out there and comparing, whether it's among the students or among the teachers, brings up a lot of fear. And that word vulnerable is so so key in relationships uh, and in the classroom right now. And with everything under a microscope and admin having such high demands and the variables being so uncontrollable anymore. I mean, they never really were controllable, but at least the teacher felt like, you know, I know a few things and I can do a few things, but now they just are like, I don't know anymore and I can't. So that vulnerability is hard is really hard for teachers. And it's very hard in a relationship to be vulnerable unless there's trust. And that's a big, big thing that's lacking now is trust. Um, so, yeah. and even for I, I, the teacher I talked to about the mental health thing was, she was like, well, you know, it's gotten so I really are, I'm not trusting a lot of my parents anymore because they're desperate because their kids are not doing well in this virtual environment or during in the pandemic, or they're struggling with their own issues and they're lashing, they're, you know, lashing out at me. They're, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of aggression that's going on. I think teachers are feeling and even from students and that communication part is so key. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that distrust or that fear You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of it, I just is, you know, when you look sort of deeply at it, it's really fear, you know, Mm -hmm. fear of, you know, being judged, fear of, you know, parents, you know, that their own fears, you know, all of those things, I think then it comes together. And if it's not dealt with well, you know, it becomes very explosive, you know, and teachers always feeling that threat of, you know, which is, I think, what happened when it was remote and, you know, we had cameras and, you know, parents were there and they could see what's happening. It's not because teachers are doing anything they shouldn't be doing, but like all humans, you know, not every word we say is going to be exactly what we mean and, you know, taking out of context. So I think you're right. I think a lot of it really is that trust. And as professional developers, 
we have to really build that trust with the people that we work with so that they feel really comfortable to be vulnerable, to know that, you know, I have people say like, this is off the record and it makes me laugh because I'm like, I'm not sure what that record is, but, you know, I know what that means. I know that means that they're going to then share something that, you know, for them is really hard to share and they don't necessarily want it passed along. And, you know, we're always respectful of that with teachers that, you know, we only pass along, we only talk to administration or talk to anybody above when we have their permission. And if I'm talking to administrators, it's always um, much more global, you know, not giving names. And when administrators ask for that, you know, I always say that you're really putting, you know, my whole relationship with them and, you know, the growth that can happen in jeopardy because, you know, they're not, teachers are not going to feel comfortable to do that. They're not going to take risks, which I totally understand. You know, I, I can tell sometimes, you know, teachers get nervous when somebody's going to be in that classroom because, you know, the observation thing, we never call them observations. We always call them class visits because I never want anybody to feel like we're there to observe. I mean, I've jumped in and, you know, ran a station for a station teaching lesson or, you know, their partners out that day. So I'll get up there and co-teach with them and, you know, just showing them how, you know, how all of us are in this together. And I think that you're right, that trust piece is really important. And that starts from the top all the way down and all the way, you know, thinking about parents, you know, and having those relationships. And a lot of the work we do is trying to mend relationships that maybe have, you know, have gone astray, you know, where parents, you know, might've had past relationships with teachers, that didn't go so well. And then they're next year with a new team or a new teacher and they kind of carry that with them, you know? And so teaching them how to mend those things. And then, you know, again, trusting this is a new teacher, this is a new team, this is a new relationship that you can build. So yes, I think trust is just a tremendous part of it across the board. Now, I don't know, professional development, it sounds like you're doing a lot of personal development too. So PD could be, you know, both of those things. What you said about, you know, the relationship, if they're having difficulties outside of the classroom, uh, feeling vulnerable, or, you know, they don't like conflict. And so they avoid it at all costs. Uh, And, you know, that's a, that's a very complicated issue. That's a, uh, and it is, it is counseling and it is coaching. And I know some districts call the people that are the professional development leaders or liaisons, they call them professional coaches or whatever to try to change that you know, misconception about what their role is and what they should be doing to help the teachers. But we're all, we're all coaches to each other. And being a good listener, like you said, is where we need to start and listening to what what the needs are and, um, and not judging and allowing the person to be vulnerable so that you can help them. Uh, so, but vulnerability in our culture sometimes is perceived as weakness and, uh, and teachers, I can't think of any other profession where, a, where the person is more vulnerable really, because they are being, scrutinized all the time by admin, by students, by parents, by colleagues, by communities, business leaders, legislators. That's a lot of um, feedback. I mean, anybody who has social media, you know, goes on social media and anyone can post on there. That's the life of a teacher every single day, you know, 
Everybody's yeah. got a comment. <laughs> yes. And it's hard, you know, to get used to that, you know, and, you know, how do you get used to that and still be able to move forward yet not, you know, become so build a wall around yourself so that you can't, you know, don't let anything in because of that fear of it. So I think it's, it's finding that balance and, you know, allowing yourself not to read too much or not look into it, you know, all of those, you know, and again, you know, I, we spend a lot of time as a company, you know, we do workshops, which, you know, more like you know, right now doing much smaller groups, but, you know, it could be any size group of educators and administrators. And then we do the ongoing support, the coaching. And we also do, you know, support with families, you know, after hours, whether, whether school districts hire us as, you know, to provide parent training in the home or out in the community with a family or private families will hire us to do things. And again, I think it's just important for everyone to realize that, especially with the pandemic, that everyone is struggling. You know, that's, that's not new. And, and being able to show that to other people, you're right. I think just as human beings, you know, we always fear being judged. And so people, families, you know, I've gone into families and, you know, gone into homes and parents are like, okay, you know, you're going to see us during dinner time. And I know, you know, I know it's crazy. I know there's so many other, you know, things that we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And, you know, and I always, again, really listen to them. You know, if dinner time is working for them because they have, you know, I think about one family who have two two children who are on the autism spectrum and, you know, from the outside looking in, yeah, sure, people could come in and be like, you know, this is pretty wild. You know, nobody's sitting in their chair. Everybody's moving around. There's all kinds of things going on. But I always ask families, just like teachers, you know, if you could change, you know, two things right now that would make everything feel better to you, what would that be? And if, you know, dinner time for families is not it, we don't work on that, you know, and eventually once I build trust with families, just like with teachers, things come out and they're like, you know what, I would like to maybe change. You know, one family said to me, I'd love to be able to play a game as a family, you know, including, you know, uh, the student that I was there to support, you know, having them there, not having them separate. Like, what do we do from there? You know, and so I think, again, listening to people, whether it's educators, parents, you know, administrators, and really getting to the root of what is important to them, what they see as valuable, that's where, you know, you're going to say, I, I have found, I, I just see the largest growth and people leave there feeling great about that, great about themselves. No one wants to feel over and over again that they're not meeting with success, that they're a failure, that, you know, I think that starting with what's important to them, you're going to have more buy-in, you know, and they're also going to see, you know, that this is really important and meaningful. You know, my time, this is worth my time. Mm -hmm. Family. I love that term and human family. We're all mm -hmm. a part of the human family and reaching yeah. out. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it, the whole, your company, I saw it says, celebrates diversity, promotes inclusion, supports successful outcomes. And it's for teachers, students, admin, parents, and even communities. So sounds like you are reaching out and touching a lot of lives and being a champion for teachers and students and, um, and for everyone, you know, to, to feel they're, they belong and they're a part of that human family. 
And so, you know, kudos to you and, you know, congratulations to what you're doing with your company and your, your consultants and everything. So, um, and I think this is all going to be very inspirational for teachers. So at the end of the podcast, I just kind of have a, as you know, you've listened, like a fill in the blank at the end. Um, and, and, and we'll see what your perspective is on it. No right or wrong answers. Okay. Sure. Sure. All right. So teaching is. A gift, um, something to be valued beyond any other profession that I can think of. Oh, I love that. You and I, very heart connected. I love that answer. Um, Teachers are? I think what you said before, champions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it makes me tearful just thinking about it. I would Mm -hmm. say champions. Mm -hmm. My greatest advice for teachers is? Listen more, talk less. Amen. (laughs) And listen with your heart. My goodness. Um, My greatest hope for all teachers is? That they learn to see their value, their strengths um, on their own without other people having to point it out to them. You're going to put yourself out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I used to actually have that fear. You know, the whole turkey thing is funny you say that, but I realize now that it's just, we can use, we can do different work. Mm-hmm. Um, so no fear of that. <laughs> but that's wonderful. I love that to, to, you know, end all of this that you've said, it's kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday, um, mm-hmm. because we are controlling teachers too much and telling them too much what they need to do. And so you're giving them permission to be themselves and to say what they need and to be vulnerable and to validate that and to hold their hand, which is what we should be doing in the classroom with kids too. So so Absolutely. it's such a powerful message. And I thank you so much. And, and I'll put a, a link in the, in the podcast notes about your company and they can learn more about it and reach out to you uh, and uh, make more connections and, you know, grow the human family. Sounds great. Yes, my company now. Um, one of the great things about the pandemic, if there are great things, is just that the outreach part of it is that we can anything that we've done or can do. You know, I used to have to travel to do it, and now we can do everything virtually. So I work with many districts, many places, you know, virtually. So um, it's all great. Well, thank you. Thank you.